So now we will continue with our study of the Patanjali Yoga Sutra. Om Yogena Chittasya Padena Vacham Malam Sharirasya Chavaidyakena Yopakarottam Pravaram Muninam Patanjalim Pranjali Ranatosmi I prostrate with folded hands before Patanjali, who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind, grammar for speech, and by removing impurities of the body through medicine. <clears throat> so in the last class, we were studying the 24th and the 25th Sutra of the first chapter, which deals with the concept of Ishwara in yoga. So what are the two aspects which were described in those two sutras? The 24th Sutra uh, is stated like this, Klesha Karma Vipaka Ashai Apparamrishta Purusha Vishesha Ishwara that Apparamrishta means untouched. That Ishwara is a special type of Purusha. He's a unique Purusha who never in the past, in the present, in the future, through eternity is never going to be bound, is going to be affected by afflictions which results out of ignorance avidya, asmita, raga, desha, binivesha, those are the kleshas. Because of ignorance, we get identified with our psychophysical existence and <clears throat> that entails all the suffering. The Ishwara, out of compassion, though he may manifest as a constituent mind, as a nirmana chitta, but he is never identified with the psychophysical existence. He always can maintain that witness attitude. He is the one who is like an actor, who is acting, enacting the role without getting identified with the role which he is acting. So his klesha is beyond the afflictions, he is beyond the karma. No work can tarnish him. He never experiences the results of his actions because the actions are done with a total detached manner. The only attachment which he has is compassion. Out of unbound compassion for the humankind through eternity, he is the eternal, he is the first and foremost teacher, he is omniscient. He, for just teaching the mankind, for teaching the humankind, in the path of spirituality so that they can also go beyond the afflictions. So he's always there. So he's beyond the karma, the results of karma vipaka and ashai, all the uh, sanskaras that results out of karma. He's beyond all that, which we studied in the last class. Today, just before we proceed to the next sutras, we can give one analogy. This analogy we find in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, 
It is in the scriptures. Swami Vivekananda also refers to this wonderful analogy that the ego of Ishwar, of God, is just like a burnt rope. If you have seen a burnt rope, it appears just like the rope. Each and every fiber is visible. It looks just like the rope. But you try to bound something, you try to bind something with it, it is impossible. Immediately it will crumble into that ash particles. It looks that ash has the structure, the form of the rope, but you can never tie or bound something, bind something with it. So that's the ego of Ishwara. It appears, it is something like an appearance, but it can never bind. It is a burnt rope, which appears like a rope, but it has lost the power to bind anything. So that's the idea behind this Klesha Karma Vipaka Ashray, Aparamrishta Purusha Ishwara. And in the next sutra, the 25th sutra, what we studied, that in him, in him the omnipotence finds its maximum manifestation, which is something potential in all other beings. <clears throat> that we find that our knowledge is limited. But in our life we find that our knowledge enhances even the moment the ignorance is removed, the knowledge enhances. So as if there is a potentiality to have more and more knowledge. But in Ishwara, but in, for the case of God, for the divinity, the knowledge is always limitless. There is no limit. There is no obstruction. Nothing is there to filter out the knowledge of Ishwara. And why it happens, how it happens? Because of the previous thing, as he's beyond the afflictions, he's beyond all bias. It is our particular attachment to certain things of the world that we get biased and that bias filters out our knowledge. Our knowledge gets distorted. In the Vedanta there is, and in the yoga and the Vedanta, there is a wonderful analogy. You will understand that, that how because of our afflictions, our biases, raga, dvesha, abhinivesha, these are the afflictions, our attachment, inordinate attachments, our hatred, our fear, these are the bias which obscures our knowledge, which distorts our knowledge. How it distorts? A very nice analogy in yoga and in Vedanta, you will all appreciate it. What is that analogy? That in a park, there is some stump of a tree that it was old or in some storm the tree has fallen and only the stump is remaining. Now it's the dusk, it's about to get dark. Now a thief was running, fearing that the police may catch him and from a distance the thief sees the stump as the police. The police was in search of the thief. And the police saw the stump as the thief. The thief saw it as out of fear, saw it as the police. Police in his uh, search for the thief, saw it as a thief. Someone was searched in search, some person was in search of his beloved. 
they were supposed to meet in the park the man saw it as his there's the beloved woman who in whose search he was out the woman sees it as a man the father who was in search of the child sees it as a child so what has happened it is actually the stump of the tree as per our biases as per our likes and dislikes that stump gets obscured it gets projected as the thing which we like or dislike or fear so now you will understand that how our afflictions raga dvesha abhinivesha our likings dislikings fear our fight and flight response our inordinate attachments how they distort our knowledge because of the bias the one whom in whom there is no affliction they see the thing as it is for them there is no question of the knowledge getting filtered out or distorted so ishwar being this klesha karma vipaka ashay aparamrishta being untouched by all these afflictions by the karma its result so his knowledge never gets distorted there is no filtering factor for his knowledge so he is the omniscient being always there to help out mankind in the previous kalpas he was also there in the present kalpa he is there in the future kalpas also he is going to be there he is the guru of the adi gurus because at the beginning of kalpa those who get liberated in this kalpa they may out of compassion continue with a constrained mind to help out the other beings but they also merge in when the <clears throat> this uh, kalpa is over they are no more there with the individuality to help out others but the ishwar is the one who after at each and every kalpa is there as the adi guru he is the first one to impart the spiritual knowledge to the human kind or the, to the beings of that kalpa so that was a wonderful idea which we found of ishwara that he is all knowing he is always detached his only attachment is his compassion unbound compassion selfless love to help out all those who are in the quagmire of ignorance so that's the concept of ishwara we saw has been discussed in round 20 fourth to the 26th sutra this 24th 25th and the 26th today we will take up the next sutra the 27th now now this concept of ishwara we have now how to relate to him how to relate so for relating to ishwara we need the name in our scriptures you will find there are some words which we also use but sometimes we don't understand its purport its real meaning they say that naam nami abhed the god is inseparable from his name when you are calling on the name of god as if you are in communion with god himself the name and the god the relation is just like the flower and the fragrance the way you cannot separate the flower from its fragrance 
essentially they are as if the same. So here also God is almost inseparable from his name. The moment you call on him and know it for certain, you are in association with him. So now this idea sometimes appears to be very poetic, but we don't understand the real purport of it. So today we will take up the 27th Sutra and try to understand what's the idea of this inseparable, inseparable uh, uh, entity of, the, of God and his name, how they are inseparable and how they are eternal. It is always this relationship is there. It was in the past, it is, it will be there in the future. So first let us read the Sutra for that. We will uh, share the screen so that you can also refer to the Sutra and then we will continue with our discussion. So what is the 27th Sutra of the first chapter? Tasya Vachaka Pranavaha Om or Pranava, Pranava is the Om, the Omkara is the Pranava Dhvani. So the Om or Pranava is Ishwara's Vachaka. Vachaka means name. The name of Ishwara is Om. So you will find a very interesting thing that even in Hinduism, there are so many denominations. There are so many Vadas. Philosophies are there. Dvaita Vada, Vishishta Dvaita, Advaita, Yoga, Vedanta. But where we all meet, we all believe in this Om as the name of Ishwara. In all, when the Shiva, when the devotees of Shiva is worshipping their God, you'll find in the mantra Om is included. Whether it is the worshipper of Shiva or of Vishnu or of Krishna or of Rama, Om is something with which the mantra is as if bound. This Omkara Putita is enclosed. The name is enclosed with the Omkara, encapsulated by the Omkara. It is something common in all our denominations. That's why Swami Vivekananda had a desire that we should have a universal temple where there, where there won't be any deity. In the altar, there should be an Omkar. In his lifetime, he couldn't materialize. After his passing away, when in Belurmat, in the place where his mortal remains were cremated, we have a small shrine of Swami Vivekananda there. In the downstairs, there is a shrine of Swami Vivekananda. And just to respect his feelings on the upstairs, if you go, you will find there is an altar with the Omkara alone. Nothing else. Why? There we all meet. That Om is the name of Ishwar. Now we will try to understand that what actually it means. That why Om is the name of Ishwara and why we say that Ishwara, the God, is inseparable from his name. So now we will try to understand this idea. Why God is said to be inseparable from his name. Now there are two types of knowledge. Perceptual knowledge, conceptual knowledge. To give an example, if a flower is red, 
whatever word I may use, or I may not use any word at all, our perception is same. The deaf and dumb person, the way he perceives that flower, that word read, he doesn't hear, but his perception tallies with my perception. It's just the same. For such perceptual knowledge, there is no need for any word. Even it has been found, if you can train a particular animal <coughs> who can distinguish color, you'll find a wonderful thing that if you <clears throat> want it to, if the animal has been trained, that to keep some slides of particular color alternately, they don't know the language, you'll find they do it. <clears throat> so what it shows that for anything which we perceive, for any perceptual knowledge, the language is not important. So for perceptual knowledge, actually, there is no need for language. Language is not vital. It is secondary. For our some convenience, we may use. And even if we don't use, we can have the perceptual knowledge even without the language. But for conceptual knowledge, the language is very important. To give an example, suppose a small child <clears throat> is walking along with an elderly person. An elderly person is holding a child and walking down the street. Now, unless someone says that the elderly person is actually the father of the young child, just by seeing, can you find, can you just uh, have the knowledge that he's the father? No, it's impossible. Someone has to say, that this is the, that we used to use that language, that word, father, is the father, is the relationship. This elderly person is the father of the child. The moment he uses that word, immediately, that word decodes so many things. You know that he is the one who has given birth to this, his son. He is the one who is taking care of him, educating him, nourishing him. So all this comes to your mind unless that word father is uttered, it is impossible to find out what actually is the relationship between the elderly person and the young one. So here you will find for conceptual knowledge, this father is the concept. Unless you use the language, it is almost impossible to have the knowledge of it. So now you will find that why we say that Ishwara is inseparable from his name. Because Ishwara is not a perceptual knowledge. It's not that we are perceiving. He is there. But just like gravitation is there, it's a concept. Unless we use the word gravitation, it is almost impossible to relate to it. Electromagnetism is there, but it is a concept. It's not perceived. Similarly, it's not that Ishwar is not there, that it is something we are uh, conjuring up in our fertile, fertile mind. No, he is, but it is conceptual, just like the gravitation, just like the electromagnetism, his existence is not perceived. 
and now that's why there's a, a word is becomes essential to relate to that existence of Ishwara. The moment I just use a word to designate Ishwara, immediately that word decodes so many things. What's that? That he is the one who is never afflicted, who is never touched by affliction. He's just like a lotus leaf in the water. It is always in the water, but never gets drenched by it. He's beyond all afflictions. He is all knowing, but at the same time, he's compassionate. His unbound compassion for the beings actually enables and motivates him to instruct the beings ages for, for ages together. He's the eternal teacher. He's the Adi Guru. So all these ideas are hidden, are coded in the name of Ishwara. Without that, it becomes almost impossible to relate to the Ishwara. So that's why Ishwara and his name is almost inseparable, just like the flower and the fragrance. So what we discussed, we'll just go through the PowerPoint presentation so that you can just have a, a very uh, comprehensive idea of what we discussed. That why God is said to be inseparable from his name? There are perceptible objects like blue, yellow, cow, etc whose knowledge is possible directly through the sense organs without the help of word or language. Thus, for perceptual knowledge, language is not vital. But some objects can be known only through designated words. Say, for instance, the word father. Father and son is a relationship which is not directly perceivable. The relationship can never be comprehended without using the word father as the relation between flower and its fragrance is inherent and inseparable the word father and its meaning is inseparable it's true with all conceptual knowledge so perceptual knowledge doesn't need language conceptual knowledge for that language is must words are must terminology is a must so now we will understand Pranava or Om denoting Ishwara makes explicit its meaning. Immediately, when the word we use the word Om designating Ishwara, its meaning becomes explicit. What if the moment you say Om, what all meaning gets decoded? Ishwara is one who is eternally liberated, compassionate, and not touched by afflictions, etc. All those ideas are encoded in that Omkar. The concept of Ishwara cannot be grasped without the help of appropriate, significant word. If you don't have a word, it is almost impossible. So such word meaning relationship being correlated, this significant term is inseparable from Ishwara. So now you will understand that sometimes we go on saying so many things uh, <clears throat> which we don't realize that what its purport is. So in our tradition, this is something which is very common. We say that God is inseparable from his name. So what it actually means, that's being described in the commentary of this sutra. That just the way 
without using the word father i cannot find out the relation between the elderly person and the young one similarly for all conceptual knowledge the issuer which is in the, the, to whom i am not perceiving the one whom i am not perceiving but he is there for that i have to use a word to decipher the meaning of the uniqueness of that person specific person who is there to help me out in my spiritual journey that word becomes very important so god is inseparable from his name that's the first idea the next idea is that god and his name is eternal that they are inseparable as well as eternal so why it is eternal that just the way in this at the present cycle for any conceptual knowledge we need a word they are almost inseparable the concept of ishwara needs a word we need a particular terminology to designate ishwara to decipher the meaning of it otherwise it becomes almost imperceptible so that was true in other kalpas also in the previous kalpas maybe ishwar was designated differently what to speak of different kalpas even in the present world for the different religions you will find the way we designate god is different someone calls him as god someone as allah someone as ishwara someone as shiva vishnu kali so many names are there so the names may be different but you have to use a name and that name and ishwara has a relation which i cannot deny it is always there it was there in the past it is it will be there for contemplating on ishwara we have to have a word so that's why it is eternal it was there in the previous cycle it is in the present it is going to be there in the future so as knowledge of things beyond sense perception is not possible in any other way in other cycles of creation also there should have been inseparable relationship between ishwara and his watcher that is his name there's a relationship between ishwara and his watcher is eternal so till now what we discussed these are the things we will find we speak of but sometimes we don't have that very clear idea of it it's a very common sensical idea but as it has become something like a norm to speak out that god and his name is inseparable god and his name is related eternally we if you ask what what it means sometimes it makes no sense so that's why in the commentary very nicely vividly it has been described that we have tried to present in this powerpoint so thus we can understand why it is said that the relationship between ishwara and his watcher is inseparable and eternal naam nami abhed the the name the one whose name is the nami and his name you cannot separate for me for conventional purpose you, you we use the name but the name is not required for me there are so many ways to find me out by your fingertip print you can be found out the no name is not required by the or the picture of your eyeball uh, when i uh, the last time for it's just short time i had to transit in singapore i still remember for some reason they had some doubt with the passport and they had so many other ways to find out who am i my identity the the picture of the eyeball the picture of the fingerprints all those are there to 
identify me. The name is not required, but for Ishwara, you know, for certain that as it is a concept, there is no question of fingerprint. There is no question of getting the picture of eyeball. It's a concept where the Nama, the name becomes something uh, which is most vital. Without that, I cannot comprehend the idea of Ishwara. So that's why Ishwara and his name is inseparable and eternal. Now there are so many names of gods that we find there are so many names of gods in different religion, in different denominations. But in Hinduism, we find the common, the basis where we all meet is that Omkar. That I may be a devotee of Rama, I may be a devotee of Krishna, I may be a devotee of Shiva, of some uh, Durga, Kali, there are so many deities. But you will find that Omkara is used before or after the name of all the deities. So Omkara is the common Vachaka. So what's the significance? Why we use the word Om? So it's a wonderful science. In short, it's a huge, there are books actually, that why Omkara is used as a Vachaka of Ishwara. What's the speciality of that Omkara? There are entire books. We, in this short lecture, cannot relate to that vast idea of the significance of Omkara. This, we will try to just discuss the significance of the syllable Om as Vachak of Ishwara. What's the significance of it? Why this Omkara has been used to designate Ishwara? Very interesting. It's very scientific. In a short, in just we'll focus, we'll try to have an uh, idea, a comprehensive idea, just a comprehensive idea. We won't go to the details. Now, if you just see the word Om, it is actually a combination of three syllables, actually four. A, U, Ma, merging in silence. Om. It's just like the uh, what you see, like the sound of a gong. You sound the gong, you will find gradually it fades away to the silence. The pronunciation of Om is something like that. Om. It goes to the silence. A, U, Ma. Now, we will find interesting. This Omkara is called Anahata Dhvani. Now, very interesting. These words are very interesting. Anahata. What it means? Now, for any sound, to create any sound, there should be collision. <clears throat> Two objects should collide to produce sound. So all the sounds are actually ahata. But they say omkar is anahata, unobstructed sound. That is as if no collision. Why? It's very interesting. When you are pronouncing the syllable a it originates from your vocal cord it's not that there is no ahata it is there but it is a least obstructed sound the vocal cord has to vibrate to create any sound but when the a is produced a is pronounced you will find that for any other vowels to pronounce say kakha gaga what is happening? The root of your tongue is touching the palate the, for the curvurger. Chacha jajha, the middle of your tongue is touching the palate. 
then you have to roll back your tongue to touch the palate. Then like the tip of the tongue to, should touch the upper teeth. Both the lips should be pressed. So what is happening for all those alphabets to be pronounced, some part of your mouth has to touch some other part. There is an obstruction. There is as if a collision to produce that sound and that collision limits that sound. But when I'm pronouncing ah, my tongue is not touching any part of the mouth or any part of the mouth is not touching any other part. The lips are not touching, the tongue is not touching, the palates are not touched by anything. Ah, so that ah originates from the vocal cord and it rolls out as ooh. The O is merging in O, it is rolling out. That sound O is as if rolling out. And when you're pronouncing O, the same thing. You find the tongue is not touching any part of your mouth. O is rolling out as O. And when you have to pronounce M, the tongue is not touching, but yeah, that the two lips just touch to end the sound. The sound is as if, is. Uh, ending with that ma. So it is something which is the least obstructed. There is no obstruction. Now all other alphabets are produced by obstructing this ohm in a particular way. And thus all other alphabets gets limited. Very interesting. In Sanskrit, you will find for alphabets, the word used that, that we, to designate alphabets, we use the word Varna. To designate light, the various color of the light, we use the word Varna. Red, Lal, Varna, Lohita, Varna, Neela, Varna, and again Ka, Kha, Gaha is Varna. Very interesting. Varna actually means neither light nor the alphabets. It actually means vibration. The light is also a vibration. The sounds are also a vibration. So these, all these alphabets are the limited expression of that unobstructed vibration of Omkara. When the Omkara is getting obstructed, when the tongue is obstructing that Omkara in particular ways, all the other alphabets are produced. So what it means? All the alphabets, each and every Varna, is a limited expression of that Omkara, which is Anahata. All other alphabets are Ahata. The Omkara itself is the Anahata. So, all the Varnas are actually the limited expression of Anahata. Now, why Omkara is used as the Vachak, as the name of Ishwara? In our life, we all have the manif we all have potentially that all the knowledge which is supposed to be unobstructed but because of our bias because of our likes and dislikes our fears all that un un that unobstructed knowledge gets filtered out in particular ways when i am pronouncing ka omkara is getting obstructed in a particular way when i am saying cha in some another way, it is getting obstructed. Similarly, for us, this varied 
humankind with so many tendencies, pot potentialities, with so many temperaments. For all, it is actually the biases which are getting obstructed in particular ways to create so many different personalities which are all limited. But Ishwara, being beyond all the bias, being beyond all the clashes, nothing is there to obstruct his knowledge. His personality is something where there is nothing to filter out his knowledge. So now you will find that if I have to designate Ishwara with some name, then it becomes as if scientific to designate him with some, with some syllable, with some terminology, which like, like Ishwara's knowledge is not obstructed, that sound also should be the least obstructed. The Omkara is the least obstructed, Anahata sound. And that is the, that's why it is used to designate Ishwara for because of as he is beyond all glaciers, nothing is there to obstruct his filter out his knowledge. So the best way to designate him is Omkara. So let us just refer to the PowerPoint, uh, this screen that what has been mentioned here. That Om is Anahata, that is unobstructed sound, which when gets obscured by tongue creates all other sounds. Okay. For example, the root of the tongue touching palate, as we were mentioning, that it produces ka 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 ka, middle of the tongue touching palate, cha 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 cha, like that. Rolling tongue of the tongue to touch the palate, that becomes ta-ta-da-da, like that. The, the steep of the tongue when it touches the upper part of the teeth, then you get ta-ta-da-da. When both the lips get pressed, pa 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 so all those are obstructing the pronunciation of Omkara. That, now Ishwara being unbiased is beyond all filters that obscure our knowledge. Hence he is omniscient. Our knowledge has filters, hence limited. The unlimited aspect of Ishwara's knowledge, which speaks of knowledge beyond all limitations or filters, is signified by the Anahata or unobscured Vachaka, that is the Omkara. So in a very short, in a nutshell, it's actually a vast science. In a very nutshell, we try to give an idea that how scientific the terminology Omkara is, which has been used to designate Ishwar. So how nicely it has been, uh, this has been used. Now, is it only because that it has some uh, thing to do with the uh, unobstruction of the uh, sound of the Anahata sound. Very interesting. Uh, you know that uh, just uh, the scientific aspect of it is very interesting. In so many that as we told that Omkara has a lot of dimensions. You know, even uh, we say that all the yogis say that when you can calm down your mind, you will find Anahata is not only coming from within. Throughout the universe, there is some primal sound, Anahata Dhvani. The yogi by coming down the mind can hear that. In our scriptures it is mentioned. Previously, when uh, we were, I was studying the scriptures, at the initially I thought these all are with mystic. Does it really make any sense as per the scientific uh, world is concerned? 
very interesting you know when in the modern uh, science when they propound when the idea of the big bang was propounded that the entire universe came out from a big bang now there are so many other theories uh, some say it is not correct whatever it is for our today's discussion just let us try to understand that the science somehow have propounded the idea of the big bang and there was a lot of opinions against it that most probably something like that had never happened now there were two scientists who got the nobel prize for discovering something wonderful uh, the uh, famous telescope i immediately forgot the name in through which uh, there means the entire universe they, they try to find out the stars the galaxies uh, the the movements of all the stars and galaxies the constellations once it so happened uh, they tried to clean it uh, the, that used telescope they found that when even when it was not focused to any of the stars galaxies some type of uh, what you say that radiations were actually recorded so they couldn't find that uh, even after cleansing what is there that they are finding out so they went they thinking that's most probably some bird has sat on it and some birds dropping is on it you know the birds dropping has some temperature when it's it's fresh so that temperature most probably is picked up because it is very very sensitive that's those telescope and that's giving the record of that radiation so thinking that they went again to cleans the telescope they found nothing and then they came to that wonderful the discovery what's that that there is some primal vibration going on in the entire universe is the remnant of the big bang when you on the tv you will find when when your tv is not in any channel you get a blur in that blur most of the thing is noise but some of that noise is actually that blur, is that remnant of the big bang what's what does it mean by the remnant of the big bang if you just strike a if you bang a gong you'll find the sound what happens first that noise is there it gradually that noise starts merging it just goes as if it becomes something silent but if the noise is very large if you have a large is a very huge sound it takes more time for the sound to merge even it is merging actually our ears are not sensitive to hear that subtle sound which is still going on no sound gets lost it's even if it merges if it it becomes very weak very feeble it's still there most probably our ear doesn't have the faculty to hear it so now these two scientists uh, i will tell you in the next class today suddenly i brought this topic i forgot the name they got the nobel prize for it they found because after that the idea of the big bang was established that the big bang happened and that huge uh, that you can say that as if something like explosion the remnant the remnant of that vibration is still there permeating the entire universe and over interesting now when we all say that the matter came into existence only after the big bang 
before the Big Bang, there was no matter. Unless there is matter, what is going to collide with something? Now you will find very interesting that Omkara, what I am pronouncing is not real Anahata because the vocal cord is vibrating. But there is something called Anahata in the entire universe. Because the Big Bang, when I say the Big Bang, when it happened, before that there was an explosion happened. It was pure energy. There was no matter to collide with each other. The remnant of that is Anahata. There was nothing to collide. And that is there in the universe which the yogis can hear by coming down the mind. For them, there is no need for any sophisticated telescope. The mind can be, even when the Yoga Sutta, the third chapter, where, when we will go, we will not study it when in very elaborate because it has nothing to do with our spiritual life. It will come later. But there are many such practices through which your mind can become instrument of really perceiving so many things with the science at the present with the help of sophisticated instruments are finding out. The more the science is finding out, the more actually the yoga, all the things which has been described in the yoga as the vibhutis in the third chapter, we can find that it has actually has meaning. It is not something which is just some mystical. It has a science behind it, the science we don't know. So now you will find the word anahata is very interesting. It is there in the entire universe permeating the sound which is anahata, the primal sound which was created before the creation, when the, at, the word, at the moment of the creation where the matter was yet to come into existence, the question of collision didn't arise. That type of vibration, and we are not going to the details of it just to uh, understand the word anahata, that it is only, uh, unless there is a collision of the two matters, we cannot think of sound. But at the beginning of the creation, when that Big Bang happened, there was no matter to collide. But the radiation which was emanated from it, its remnant is still there permeating the entire universe. And that's why it is anahata also. So now you will find how uh, wonderful now the scriptures words become when they say that the rishis by calming down the mind and hear the anahata going on within and without, it's permeating the entire universe. So now you will find that when we designate Ishwara within the term Om, it has really some, it makes really some sense. It speaks of the very beginning of the creation. So uh, these are the some hints we try to give. It's a vast subject as we told, just to have an idea, just to create an interest, we just give some hints. Now in our day-to-day -day life, these ideas actually uh, may interest us, may somehow satisfy our curiosity. But in practical application, does Om has any practical uh, application in our spiritual life? That we will discuss uh, in the next uh, our, uh, slide. Then what is the advantage of the syllable Om as Vachaka? That if, uh, why instead of X, Y, Z, this Om has special significance, not only significance, it has some advantage. You will find as Om is the least differentiated sound, its pronunciation is easy, soothing and contemplative. Like consonants, its pronunciation can be prolonged to create a katanata, focused one point attention. To understand this, I will take some examples. You know, you will find that 
uh, when uh, we are initiated into some mantra in our traditions they are there that there are gurus are there who impart mantras which we have supposed to repeat throughout our life when we are meditating or even when i am not meditating whenever uh, i find time i pronounce but most of those mantras are encapsulated by omkar it begins with om it ends with om for some it may not end with om but at least it begins with om why sometimes the mantras can be as big as the gayatri mantra is a quite long mantra why you know when for the first time i am trying to meditate as my mind is constantly jumping from thought to thought it's a monkey mind now if i try to meditate on a very small syllable it is just like like it is like trying to press a spring to the minimum limits and immediately tries to what if you do if you press the spring harder it will again bounce back that happens with our mind the mind is so strong with the vagaries i am trying to make it streamlined in one thought at the beginning if i try to press it too hard it bounces back i find it's almost impossible so what the scriptures have done is something wonderful they say well you cannot concentrate your mind on a simple syllable it becomes too hard why not you do lila dhyana that read the life of the divine incarnations and try to keep your mind fixed on their divine play lila lila dhyana why that how it becomes important you are thinking of so many things like krishna's birth krishna's all his divine plays till his the end of his life so many things you are studying your mind is getting the scope to jump from thought to thought but still it is restricted it is not going beyond the life of krishna so now when you get habituated with it now you take something shorter maybe the gayatri mantra now a very interesting thing happens the more your mind comes down now that long mantra becomes a distraction you find now your mind has become so intense so ekatana so one pointed that huge mantra is become a distraction all the mantras are omkara putita because when you really get it, get focused the entire mantra falls off the mind has to hold on something it holds on the omkara the least differentiated sound it becomes very easy for the mind soothing for the mind to keep it fixed in that unlist differentiated sound that omkara and continue with its meditation so now you will understand it's a gradual process of streamlining the mind and omkara is something which helps you even when you are intensely focused when the entire mantra has fallen off just to hold on to something in the gospel of sri ramakrishna sri ramakrishna is giving a wonderful example that the kirtan was going on where in through, through the songs the life of krishna was uh, of chaitanya mahaprabhu was depicted there are so many lines and one of the person got so intoxicated he started repeating only one line what is that line that speaks of the tremendous uh, devotional fervor of sri chaitanya mahaprabhu that he was dancing down the streets repeating the name of god 
full of divine flavor and he was appearing like a mad elephant so full of divine emotion he was that like a mad elephant he was as if running down the street and to depict that the line which was used is nitai amar nimai amar mata hati that nimai is a mad like a mad elephant nimai amar mata hati now this line uh, this encap this uh, infatuated this man so much he liked this idea behind it so much he forgot other things he started repeating it again and again this nimai amar mata hati nimai amar mata hati and after some time his when his mind got really very focused he couldn't even say that whole line he started only saying mata hati mata hati mad elephant and after some time he went into deep samadhi even he couldn't repeat mata hati just by saying ha he went into samadhi so just you will find this is the idea of streamlining the mind gradually so at last you have to hold on something and that way omkara in the least differentiated sound that is always included with all the mantra so when you go on when your mind becomes more and more intensely focused just like you know that a picture of uh, we say poor resolution what is the difference between we will come this dharana and dhyana when we will come to the discussion dharana is focused mind i can keep the mind focused in one object i have stopped the all the discrimination but it is not intensified it is like a low resolution picture where the dpi dots per inch is very few the resolution is weak so you can see the dots the picture is not very clear the dots are visible now if you just you will find if you go to just a, for a developing that picture they will say that it's a very low resolution we want high resolution if there are more dots even if you enlarge the picture appears to be a continuity you don't see the dots so the dharana and dhyana is this the this is a difference in dharana your mind is focused it is not going distracted but it is yet to be intensified so you need a bigger mantra to keep the focus you need a bigger mantra in dhyana what happens the mind has become more intensified there are more dots per inch as if so there are more the thoughts the thoughts are repeating in a more intense manner in a higher frequency so now the entire mantra falls off but it has to hold on to something omkara is there there we again all meet whether you are repeating om shiva or om krishna at last when you are really in that highly focused state all falls off it is the omkara with which the mind continues with the idea of ishwar this is a wonderful thing you will find so as om is the least differentiated sound its pronunciation is easy soothing and contemplative unlike consonants its pronunciation can be prolonged to create ekatanata focused one point when i am say since so the consonants i am repeat it ends it cannot be continued this ekatanata this focused spontaneous flow comes from the pronunciation of om and that's how it makes the meditation easy not only that when om is uttered mentally if you are correcting you are mentally pronouncing om in the correct fashion so what the thing happens for all other sounds it originates from the vocal cord and it is moves out from your mouth 
but you will find when you pronounce om you take a breath deep breath and when you're breathing out with your eyes closed you're pronouncing om the sound as if originates from your vocal cord and moves straight to the the feeling is it moves that when you pronouncing om it gives a feeling something is moving from your throat to the crown of your head the sahasrara and this feeling is utilized by the yogis for deeper contemplation its pronunciation gives that feeling that it is something it is just like the rising of the kundalini from the throat it goes to the sahasrara and it makes the mind tremendously focused so that's why you will find that there is advantage in using the omkara i can use abcd anything for the name of god but why omkara it has a special some advantage it easily concentrates our mind it is being the least differentiated sound and it is such a sound which gives the feeling that it is not just simply coming out of the mouth it is as if moving to the crown of your head making your mind more focused so yogis have understood the relationship between the verbal symbol and the three thing expressed once you have understood now the next thing tat japa tat arthabhavanam so whenever even in your day to day life japa is something which you can continue always even when i am uh, uh, busy with my work a part of my mind can go on repeating it when I, whenever i have to keep the idea of ishwara in my mind i need that word and the best word is the omkara if we can repeat it and not only repeat mechanically tat artha its meaning should immediately come just uh, be revealed its meaning should be revealed so then this becomes a wonderful way of ishwara pranidhana tat japa tat artha bhavana we will take up this 28th sutra again in the next class it is also something speaks it's uh, very small sutras the sutras are very small but it has to be expanded it's just small thing in which layers of meanings are hidden and for that we have to resort to the commentaries the vyasa bhashya the vachaspati's commentary there are so many commentaries we have referred to them to prepare our powerpoints presentation we have not uh, Uh, taken the text directly because the sanskrit will make the thing very uninteresting so we have just taken the idea from there and this prepared this powerpoint presentation in the next class that what that what this japa means what this uh, thought way the idea behind reflecting on the idea behind that uh, uh, repetition of the mantra means that we will take up again in the next class with this we stop our discussion today Thank you Swamiji. Namaskar. Thank you. Namaskar. Hmm. Namaskar Swamiji. Ha namaskar.